Well, thank you, Oscar. Thank you, Joe, for that prayer. And uh, now I want to say a simple prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and you are our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're wrapping up our study on the book of Acts. We began this journey uh, the week after Easter, and since then, we've been learning about the Acts of the Apostles, as, as some people call it, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We've been learning about the early church and its birth and how it started with just a small group of people and quickly expanded to a movement that spread throughout the world. And today, as we wrap up in Acts 28, I've been thinking about how endings, whether it's a movie, a story, a, a book, or whatever, endings are very important. And because endings are important this week, as I was thinking about the ending of Acts and, and trying to get my head around it, thinking about the endings of other stories, I went to Facebook, uh, and sometimes I do this from time to time, ask questions that connect with the sermon. And I just said to people, I said, hey, what is a movie ending that you really loved? What's the best one you can think of? And I think I got more comments on that one question than I have on any picture of my awesome son that I've ever gotten before. People were very passionate telling me about the favorite movie ending they've ever seen. There was some debate in the comments. Uh, if you have a favorite movie ending, you can post it in here right now. But people were very passionate and maybe it was just like, hey, I need to escape the news and just talk about something fun. Um, but but people had many different answers. One of my friends said, you know, I love the ending to the Oceans movies, Oceans 11, 12. You might be familiar with them because at the end, they reveal how these people have been pulling off all sorts of schemes and heists and you kind of get, get everything pulled back and you can see how it all worked together. And somebody else mentioned the Shawshank Redemption, one of my favorite movies, how at the end, we see this final scene with Red and Andy, two men who used to be in jail together. We see them in freedom together on the beach in Mexico, uh, living with freedom and, and a new lease on life. Uh, still, someone else, uh, I think it was Sandy Brennan, she mentioned The Passion of the Christ. And I still remember sitting in The Passion of the Christ theater when it came out. And I remember after hours of watching agony and torture and blood and beating, I remember when at the end there was just a small glimpse of the empty tomb and Jesus's face, and the whole theater was filled with a tangible hope that there was more to the story. And Jesus didn't just die, but he rose again. I mean, if you think about a movie ending that you love or one that, that, that really resonates with you, it's probably one where things kind of get wrapped up. A lot of your questions get answered. You figure out what happens to all of the characters. Things begin to make sense. The puzzle pieces get put together. Those are the kind of endings that I tend to like. Those are the kinds of endings most people tend to like. And so I say all of that to say this, I, I hope as we come to the end of Acts that you're not disappointed because Paul doesn't, or Luke, who's writing about Paul's life in the early church in Acts, he, he doesn't wrap everything up with a nice, neat bow. He doesn't answer every question. Instead, he leaves a lot of questions unanswered. And so today we're going to be looking at this final chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 28. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to that. And um, as we as we look at this section, uh, I want to point out, you know, last week we, we talked about Ephesus and how Paul was there and there was rioting and there was chaos. And then now in Acts chapter 28, we find Paul in Rome. 
And so those are two very different cities, and a lot has happened in between in these final chapters of Acts. A lot's happened because Paul, how he ends up in Rome is he went to Jerusalem. And when he went to Jerusalem, basically stuff just hit the fan because when he got there, some of the Jewish leaders uh, were pushing back against him, saying he was teaching bad things and, and crowds started getting stirred up and then people wanted to, to punish him and there was plots to kill him. And so he was trying to escape all of this. And meanwhile, uh, one of the things that was happening is he was being treated very unjustly. And so he, being a Roman citizen, he appealed to Rome and he said, look, I, I appeal my case to Caesar. And so the final chapters of Acts are all about Paul's journeys getting to Rome. And then here in Acts 28, we find that he's finally there. So I'm going to read with you from Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 14. And here's what, here's what Luke writes. He says, and so we came to Rome because Luke has put himself in the story here because he was actually a traveling companion with Paul. He says, and so we came to Rome and the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of the Apius and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So what, what I want you to see here is that Paul is awaiting trial because he's been arrested, but he's in kind of a house arrest situation. So he's living in a home with a guard overseeing him, but he can still have visitors come and talk with him and visit with him. And so verse 17, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I wasn't guilty of any crime deserving death, but the Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly didn't intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So here he is in chains. And they replied, we haven't received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of our people who've come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. And this sect that they're talking about is the church. Uh, they, they've, they've learned about Christians. This movement has been spreading. And so they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. And he witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And some were convinced by what he said, but others wouldn't believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors. When he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes and they have closed their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And then verses 30 and 31, the final verses of the book. And for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. I told you, he doesn't 
answer every question and he actually leaves us with a lot of questions. I mean, it kind of ends a bit abruptly, right? Paul gets to Rome, he's preaching, he's sharing the good news, he's in this house, and then the screen shuts. The credits roll. And that little guy, you know, who comes around and is sweeping up popcorn around your feet is sweeping up popcorn as you're trying to figure out what what's going on. I mean, right, we have a lot of unanswered questions. What happened to Paul? I mean, was he found guilty or was he found not guilty? Did he end up dying, being executed? Did he end up going and being freed and traveling more? I mean, what, what about the church, right? I mean, we, we've been following the church, but things are just really getting started on this, this journey that they're on. Is the movements beginning to spread? Or what about other characters, right? Peter, what happened to Peter? We don't really hear about him, Barnabas, all of these other people. There are a lot of unanswered questions here at the end of Acts. And Luke, I mean, he's been a very intentional writer writing about Jesus's life in the Gospel of Luke. Now he's given us a great detailed orderly account in the book of Acts as well of the early church. And so scholars have sat around. I mean, people have dedicated their lives to figuring out the end of this book. And some people have said, some scholars have said, well, the reason that it ends this way is because Luke is actually writing in real time. And so he's been writing, and now Paul is in jail. He's there in Rome as well. And so he doesn't know how the story ends. And so he kind of keeps it open-ended. So some, some people say, well, that's why he doesn't finish it. Other people say, actually, this is a, a strategic ending. Because if you remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And really, Rome is the heart of the empire. And in that day, it would have been known kind of as the ends of the earth. And so here... The story ends with the gospel being proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Other scholars have many other views on what exactly is happening here. And I'm no, I'm no scholar, I'm no literary genius, but I want to share with you this morning why I think Luke ends Acts this way. And the reason I think Luke, acts, Luke ends Acts this way is because he knows that this isn't the ending. He doesn't wrap everything up and answer every question because what he wants us to see is this, this isn't the end of the movement. This isn't the end of, of the church's mission. This isn't the end of the church's ministry. This isn't the end of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. Instead, this is actually just the beginning of what is to come. And so the reason I think Luke ends this way is because he wants you, he wants I, he wants us as the church to see that we're writing the rest of Acts with our witness in this world. Let me say that again. I think he ends this way rather abruptly because he wants us to see that we're writing the rest of Acts with our witness in this world today. We're writing the next chapter. The story isn't over. The story of God's movement of salvation across all lands to all people. It is continuing even now. It is the mission and the ministry that has been entrusted to the church today. And so if that's the case, I think it'd be wise for us to kind of look back on all of Acts and, and think about what we've learned, what we've seen, lessons we can take from the early church for how we're called to live today. And actually the final verse of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 31 is really a summary of the entire book. 
and of everything that we've seen and everything that we've been learning. And so I want to read it one more time. And if you have a Bible, I want you to underline this verse and circle this verse because this is a very important one. Here's what it says. It says, he, that is Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And here in this verse, I I think we see some important things, some important themes, things that we need to continue and carry on today as we're writing the next chapter as the church. And so this morning, I want to share some of them with you. and, And because I'm a preacher, I'm going to share three of them with you, okay? I want to share three things from this verse and from the book of Acts that we've seen. And the first one, I mean, it's mentioned right here, um, is that I think we need to live boldly. We need to live boldly. I mean, we see this word here in verse 31 of chapter 28, but the word bold actually occurs a lot throughout the book of Acts. And a lot of times Paul uses it, uh, or Luke uses it to describe Paul and his preaching to people. He says, Paul proclaimed the good news boldly. He shared it boldly. Now you might be wondering, well, what exactly is boldness? And rather than going to the dictionary this week, I, I went to my wife because she's very smart. And I said, Emily, what, you know, what? I'm going to be preaching and talking about boldness. I mean, how would you define boldness? And she said, boldness, boldness is doing what is right and saying what is true, even when it's costly. Think about that. Doing what's right or saying what is true, even when it's costly. And so this describes Paul's preaching. I mean, Paul's preaching the good news of Jesus was costly to him. He is here in chains at the end of the story. But but it wasn't just bold. The word bold isn't just used to describe Paul throughout the book of Acts. Actually, the first instance of bold is in Acts chapter 4. The church is beginning to face persecution. They're beginning to face resistance. It's starting to be costly being a follower of Jesus. And so they end up praying. And here's what they pray in chapter four. Lord, consider the threats against us and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. They spoke boldly. The early church lived boldly. They loved boldly. They served boldly. And guess what? It cost them dearly. Many, many of the people we're reading about in the book of Acts went on to be martyred, killed for their faith. But they did it. They lived boldly. And you might be wondering, I mean, how, how did they live boldly? I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable for us to like invite a neighbor to church. I mean, these are people who are risking their very lives. And we see in these verses how they did it. They did it not by their own power and strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit living in them. They asked for boldness and they received boldness. And you have to remember, I mean, these people are living soon after Jesus' resurrection. And so that was a very tangible reality for them. And so they had seen, they had seen Jesus overcoming sin, Jesus overcoming death. They had seen Jesus conquer the grave. And so they said, look, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen to us in this life? If we die, we will be risen and we will live with Christ forever. And so we have nothing to fear. 
and they lived boldly. And this is something I think we as the church, we have to reclaim this today. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us with boldness today because the church is needed now in this world, not perhaps more than ever before, but the same as ever before. We need to be light in the midst of darkness. And when we're worried about what what people think about us, what people are going to say about us, what what the what the news is going to print about us when when we're worried about being uncomfortable or or our faith costing us something that's not living boldly and so we need to ask God God give us a spirit of boldness the ability to do what is right and to say what is true even when it's costly and this week living boldly has been on my mind with all of the events occurring in the world and I, I don't often read extended quotations in my sermons because a lot of times quite frankly people tune out i tune out when a preacher does that many times i i know people do but this morning i want to read an extended quotation to you and I, and we don't need to tune out we need to actually tune in and this quotation is an excerpt from martin luther king jr's letter from a birmingham jail because just like paul ended up acts 28 locked with chains here dr king is writing from behind bars as well. And I think he has a message for us today. He says this. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on, and the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. And small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest. But he says things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it's an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church doesn't recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. Living boldly. That's what Dr. King is calling the church here to do. And that's what he did with his life. And today it's easy to, to look back on, on, on Dr. King and celebrate him, but we have to remember that when he was living, many people hated him. Many people hated others in the civil rights movement because of the message they were proclaiming. 
People hated Dr. King because of the Christian truths that he was sharing again and again and again to a world that, that honestly wouldn't receive them. And then the messages were simple. The message was that all people, particularly black people, are created in the image of God. All people, particularly black people, are in need of dignity, life, justice, love, and, and those things should be given to them just as they are to everybody else. And this message, it was a bold message and it ultimately cost him. It cost him his life as people fought him in that message that he proclaimed. And church, I got to say this morning that the, the work continues. The work isn't done yet. The killings of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, the ones that we've seen with our own eyes, those have brought to the surface again the reality that racial injustice still exists in our world as much as we wish it didn't and as much as we'd like to turn our eyes away. The church still needs to live boldly and proclaim this message, this message that all people are worthy of dignity. All people, particularly our African-American brothers and sisters, are in need of love, of justice, and deserving of life. And we as a church have to lift our voices and proclaim these Christian truths in our society today, no matter what it costs us. There is still work to do, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give us boldness to do these things, to speak out against racial injustice, to work against racial injustice. And, and, and I'll just say this, I'm not, I'm not saying all this this morning as someone who has it figured out. I think it starts in our hearts. And this week I've been searching my own heart and praying the difficult prayer, Lord, reveal to me those places of darkness that still live within me. Lord, the, the, those racist places, those tendencies, overt, covert, subtle, explicit, Holy Spirit, reveal them and remove them in me. This starts with repentance and searching of our own hearts. And then it moves to our homes as we talk about this as families and deal with it in our households. But it doesn't need to stop there. It needs to continue to institutions because this sin of racism, it's not only something personal, it's also something institutional. And so we need to live boldly. We need to live boldly. We need to speak up. We need to act. And this isn't the only thing that we need to live boldly with. In Acts chapter 4, after, after they prayed for boldness, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, what did they do? They actually began sharing their possessions, their money, and their resources with other people in need. They, they, they didn't just sit around and speak things. They put their words into action. And so we need to say, Lord, help us live boldly in, in all areas of our lives. Help us live as bold people of repentance, confessing boldly, sharing Jesus boldly. Holy Spirit, help us in the times where we're uncomfortable. Help give us a spirit of boldness. Help us remember that Jesus Christ hasn't called us to be comfortable. He's actually called us to lay down our lives for the sake of others and to be witnesses to Jesus Christ and his message of love for all people.
And so that brings us to the second thing I want us to see this morning that I think the book of Acts is calling us to do as we continue writing the story today. And that's not only to live boldly, but it's also to share Jesus with everyone and everywhere. And if we look in the book of Acts, I mean, we see the church doing this in a radical and an extravagant way. I mean, they share Jesus with people who are interested in the message and people who are disinterested. They share Jesus with people who are rich and people who are poor. They share Jesus with people of all different nationalities and ethnicities. We talked about in Acts 15, how that got complicated, but 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 they, they decided, hey, no, the message of Jesus is for all people. So we're going to share it with all people. So they shared Jesus with everyone and they did it every where I mean, if you look in the book of Acts for a church building and all these places where they used to meet, what you'll find is they often met in people's homes and they met outside, they met in the synagogue, they met in the temple. And here at the end of the book, where do we find Paul sharing Jesus? We find him sharing Jesus in his home. And this week I thought about filming on site somewhere. I thought about going to a lake or, or somewhere cool because I enjoy that. And I, I know you enjoy mixing it up as well. But I thought, you know what? We need a reminder that the early church, they were sharing Jesus, not in church buildings, but right where they found themselves. And that's what we need to do today. We need to share Jesus right where we are with all people. And we see in Acts how they did this. I mean, they did this through friendship, by telling people about the grace of Jesus Christ and how it had transformed their lives. They, they, they shared that with other people and their friends their families, their circle of influences. They, they, they shared it with friends, but they also did it through the, the work of persuasion. We see Paul and others discussing the deep questions of the faith and wrestling with skeptics and other people. We're called to do that, to have an answer for people. They, they did this by serving other people. They shared Jesus by serving through the ministry of healing and letting people know that, that all people are welcome in God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is a kingdom of life, of wholeness, and justice, and so they served other people, and we're called to do those same things today. And the good news for us as we share Jesus is that the pressure isn't on us. We're just called to share Jesus and be witnesses to other people, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict their hearts and to transform them. And that's bringing us to the final thing I want to share with you this morning, and that is that as the church lived boldly, as they shared Jesus with people in all different places, all different stages of life, they did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the thing I think we need to, to believe and to recapture today is that the same Holy Spirit that was at work back then is at work in our world and in our lives today. Today in the church's calendar, you might not be familiar with this. We don't always celebrate all of the, the different church calendar holidays, but today is the day of Pentecost. 50 days after Easter, when we remember Acts chapter 2, churches all over the world this morning are reading Acts chapter 2, where we remember the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, people of all different nations and nationalities, and filled them, and it really began this movement of the church. But, but today we're remembering Acts chapter 2, and we're celebrating Acts chapter 2, not just as something that happened in the past, but as a reality in the present, because the same Holy Spirit that filled the church, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, that same Holy Spirit is living in you and me today.
whenever I'm studying the book of Acts with people, and we're reading about the Holy Spirit and the crazy stuff happening and the miracles and the expansion of the church, one question always comes up, and maybe it's a question you've had as we've read the book of Acts together. And the question is, I mean, Pastor Jonathan, why, why do we see all of this miraculous stuff and, and growth and, and the Holy Spirit falling upon people and their lives being transformed? I mean, why do we, we see all of that stuff happening back then, but we don't see it happening today? And I think it's a good question. It's one that I often have as I'm walking through the book of Acts, and we could get into a deeper discussion about it. But I think the main reason, perhaps, we don't see those same things in our churches on a constant basis today is because we don't expect them. It's because we don't actually expect the Holy Spirit to show up and to actually do anything. I think a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this in our hearts, we kind of think, you know what, that was that was back then. This is now. That was 2,000 years ago. This is 2020. But we think, you know what, I mean, maybe the Holy Spirit, you know, yeah, was, was using great people like Paul and like Peter. Maybe even at other times throughout history, the Holy Spirit was using people like John Wesley or Mother Teresa working in their lives in a unique and powerful way. But but things are different now. And when we begin to have this thought, I think the fundamental problem with this line of thinking is that we're confusing people and the power. And this is a dangerous thing to get confused because this is like receiving a briefcase of a million dollars and thinking, wow, what an amazing briefcase it is. But when we look at the early church, the reason they were able to do all of these things, it wasn't just because of their personalities or their gift sets or anything like that. It was because of what was inside of it that was giving them the power to do these things. It was the gift of the Holy Spirit in them, moving through them, transforming the world, turning the world upside down. And that same Holy Spirit is alive and wants to work in you and in me today. And there's an Anglican priest named Mike Pilavachi, and he, he has this great quote. He says, The history of the church has never been about great men and women of God. It's always been about the great God of men and women. And that great God is at work. That great God wants to use you and me. That great God, His Holy Spirit, wants to fill us embolden us, empower us to share Jesus with other people. That Holy Spirit wants to live and reign in you and me and in our church now and forevermore. And so as we come to the book of Acts' ending, and we've been on quite a journey. We've seen a lot of transformation. We've seen this movement spreading and all of it reminds me of one of Jesus's parables. And actually our next sermon series starting next week is gonna be, be on the parables, but this is one of his shorter ones, so I'll just give it to you now. And in this parable, Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Perhaps one of the tiniest seeds there is. But when the seed is planted, when the soil is tilled and it's watered and it's cultivated, this seed grows up into one of the largest bushes, a bush so big that birds can make nests in it. 
And this is what we've been seeing throughout the book of Acts. The church started small with just a small ragtag group of people in an upper room in Jerusalem waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell and filled them and soon the church began growing and transforming everything in its path. But friends, the story continues today. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants us to write the next chapter, to live boldly, to share Jesus with everyone, everywhere. He wants us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's ask God to do that in us and through us today. Almighty God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your transforming love that meets us where we are, but, but doesn't just leave us there. It transforms our hearts and gives us hearts for other people. It transforms our lives and helps us lay down our lives for other people. And God, we know that our church exists not for itself, not to maintain buildings, not to, to maintain anything, but our church exists to reach new people for you and to be an outpost of your kingdom, your kingdom that is for all people. And so God, we pray that, that you would help us, particularly in this next season, to live boldly. God, that, that we would be willing to, to lay down our preferences, to lay down what other people think about us, to get rid of the, the idols of acceptance in our lives, that we would live boldly for you no matter the cost. God, help us share Jesus with everyone everywhere. God, with our neighbors who are meeting in new ways during the season, with our family members, help us share Jesus with fresh wind and fresh fire. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us even now. Empower us to continue the work that began so long ago. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to stick around for our closing song. Uh, it's a new one that we're introducing that Oscar is going to lead us in called The Blessing. And I'm sure we're going to be singing this song uh, for, for months and perhaps years to come. And so I invite you to sit back and to receive this now as a blessing over you.